Victory Church. Let me hear you. My name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the incredible privilege to pastor this church. And I just want to start off by saying happy Father's Day to all my rad dads. If you're a rad dad, do me a favor. Put your hand in the air. Let us just honor you for a moment. Come on. Can we just honor our fathers this morning? I want to say real quick, whether either it's going to be over live stream or over the podcast, Daddy, happy Father's Day. I love you. He lives in Panama City, Florida, is what he's doing. So hopefully he's going to listen to this message. If not, then I'm going to uh, disown him as a father. But uh, just again, happy Father's Day. We're so glad to have you. I wanted to add a real quick announcement to uh, the announcements you've already heard. Every Saturday morning during the summer, we have the opportunity to spend about an hour in prayer as we are in a series right now where we're asking God to help us hear his voice better. And so as a church, we always try to give you the way to applicate what you hear from the stage. And so during the summer, 8.30 to 9.30, we are in here praying. Listen, super chill experience. If you can come at 8.30 and only stay for 10 minutes, come. If you can come at 9.05 and only stay for 10 minutes, come. We just want to give you the opportunity to come, get away from the craziness of the world, and just be able to hear the voice of God sitting here pray. We don't have an agenda. We just kind of come in and seek the face of God. It's just a great opportunity that we get to have during the summertime with school out. So if you're interested, just right here every Saturday, 8.30 to 9.30, we'd love to have you. Amen? Amen. If you got your Bibles, do me a favor, open up the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, don't worry, we'll have everything on the screen for you so you can just follow right along. We are currently in a series called Seven that is about how to better hear the voice of God. And we called it Seven because tends to be seven common ways that God speaks to us through his scripture. Obviously, he can do whatever he wants. We don't limit him. He's spoken through a donkey. He's spoken through a burning bush, you know. But, but there tends to be seven common ways that God speaks to us. And so we're kind of addressing those. And so we, one week, we talked about the word of God and how God speaks through his Bible, even today. Last week, we talked about desires. Did y'all enjoy that last week? We talked about desires and how God, the closer we get to him, the more we discover our desires. And then we let God direct those desires. And then those desires are used to designate us to the place that God has for our destiny. And it was just an incredible time in here. And this morning, I want to talk to you just for a moment about how God speaks through pain. God speaks through pain. I'm going to share a testimony in my life, just a moment that God really taught me. Um, But I thought today made sense to talk about pain. I mean, it's Father's Day, right? And men kind of have this like unspoken code that we are supposed to dismiss pain, you know? You're the dad that like put, accidentally drills through your hand. It's like, hey, can you go get me a, you know, a wet nap? Or, you know, just kind of that concept. Uh, and when I think about dads and I think about pain, the, here's what came to my mind. If any of you are Roadhouse fans and you've seen Patrick Swayze in Roadhouse, there's this moment where he's getting stapled up from a knife wound and the doctor says, do you enjoy pain? And he says, pain don't hurt. And that's how how I think men sum up pain. Pain pain don't hurt. We just kind of dismiss it. And I want to challenge you this morning that maybe, just maybe, God doesn't want us to dismiss pain. But maybe God wants us to pay attention to it because God is trying to speak through it. These scriptures that we're going to look at, we're just going to look at three verses this morning. And they're from the Apostle Paul. And I think Paul is the manliest man, you know, outside of Jesus in the Bible. And so it just makes sense to use him, okay? I mean, he's the guy that got bitten by a snake and, you know, shook the snake off. And he's the guy that was survived a shipwreck. And I think he's kind of like the Chuck Norris of the Bible, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you hear the story where I think Paul got bit by a snake. And after like three days of sweating, all that, the snake finally died. No? Okay. 
I think when Paul does push-ups, he pushes the earth down. He doesn't push himself up. You know what I mean? Uh, obviously, y'all need to start reading more Chuck Norris jokes. Uh, but I, I just kind of think Paul is like the Chuck Norris. He's the man of man. And, and then he says in these three verses, he literally, literally sets us up for what probably is some of the manliest verses I've ever read. Because here's what he literally says. I've got a horrible pain, and I'm cool with it. There's purpose in it, and I just think that's interesting. 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at verses 7, 8, and 9. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I, Paul, was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, and three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, a thorn in my flesh. One time I was visiting my dad in Florida, and in Florida, they have, I don't know if you call them like kookaburros, or I don't, I don't know really the real name of them, but they basically are a little ball with a bunch of spikes, and they're all in the sand and the grass, and one time me and my best friend, well, my, my friend at the time, we were, we were running, and our feet were really hot in the pavement, and, and, and we're running, and we, the whole plan was to run and jump into the grass, right, to get off of the pavement, and we ran and we jumped into the grass, and when we did, we landed on a whole bunch of those little kookaburros, and I'm, I know what it was like to have a thorn in my flesh, and, and it's not enjoyable. Yet, pain, yet, yet Paul's saying that there must be purpose in my pain. I, I want to share with you just this morning briefly that there's a point to your pain. Amen? Number one is the power of pain. The power of pain. Paul said, again, verse 7, therefore, in order, watch this, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul said, God's going to use this pain I'm experiencing to prevent me from doing something stupid. Because, watch, pain has the power to prevent. Okay? Pain has the power to prevent. Let me give you an example. How many of y'all, you got, you, you got spankings as a kid? Anybody in here, you got spankings as a kid? Um, and say, you turned out all right. I think we should get back to spanking kids. Um, and so don't put that on, you know, don't, don't, don't let that be my statement known for today. But I was spanked as a kid. And um, I remember one time specifically, I was out playing, it was probably about noon, and I had done something to disrespect my mom, and I'm out with my friends, and I'm playing, and she walks out, and here's what she does. She walks outside, and she goes, hey, Troy. I said, yes, mom. She goes, I called your dad. Excuse me? I called your dad, and he said, the moment you see him pull up, you need to go to your room and assume the position. My dad didn't get home until about 7 o'clock at night. She told me at noon, it ruined my entire day. Couldn't do anything. All my friends were like, you went through the football? And I'm over here like, no, no, I went through the football. It's like seven hours, I'm going to get beaten. Like, you know what I mean? Like literally, I was just processing that. Like you don't understand. You know, it'd be like 2 o'clock. I'm watching the clock. It's ticking every minute. I'm like, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. People trying to play tag. And I'm like, no, I don't want to play tag. You know what I mean? Like, I was literally, I was so concerned. And he drove a green Ford truck. And we were outside. And I just remember, again, I was having no fun all day. Thanks, Mom. You ruined my day. And, and, and all of a sudden, that truck pulled up. And man, I beelined it Whew! straight to my room. And I assumed the position. And uh, he spanked me, and I remember doing that quiet cry. You know what I'm talking about? That, like, you don't hear anything, but you can you feel all the pain. It's like, I, and when my daughters do it, I have to blow in their face to get them to do something. And so I just, it was just, it, it was a horrible experience for me. And I, and I make it sound bad. My dad didn't beat me a lot. I probably had three spankings my entire life. And here's why when I got a spanking, I learned <laughs> from that spanking. And so I don't remember what I did. But I can tell you this, I never did it again, because pain 
trains us. It has the power to prevent us from doing something that we shouldn't be doing that's going to hurt us in the long run. And so it trains us. I love what it says in Hebrews. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. No discipline. No matter what discipline God takes you through, no matter what pain, no matter what lesson, it's never going to seem pleasant at the time. I could tell you all day your pain has purpose, but it won't matter because it won't feel pleasant at the time. But it'll be what? Painful. Later on, however, it will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Pain trains us. There's a rare condition that's going on that's starting to get more and more common. The abbreviation is C-I-P-A. I guess you pronounce it SIPA. Um, and it's dealing with people who can't feel pain. Have you ever met anybody like this? That they, they can't feel pain. If they were to put their hand on the stove and their hand began to burn, they wouldn't know that they were in pain. And so they wouldn't know to remove their hand. Because pain, watch this, y'all, pain is a warning for us. When we begin to feel pain, we, we drop it, right? If, if, you, if you microwave the, uh, the oatmeal and you go to grab the bowl and it's hot, you drop it because it's a warning that you are going to hurt yourself if you continue to hang on to this bowl. Doctors actually say people with this condition tend to suffer from serious injury and sometimes even death because they can't feel the pain they're experiencing. And so they will hang on to it or keep holding on to it and it'll burn and burn and burn and seriously injure them or possibly even kill them because they don't have the warning of pain. One of the doctors, when I interviewed, said this, pain is important for survival. thought that was interesting. Pain is important for survival. I don't think I've ever considered pain important. I've hated it, but I've never considered it important. C.S. Lewis says pain is God's shout. That God shouts through pain. If you have children, you know what it's like to be walking through the parking lot and your kids start to run and you go, hey, stop! Stop! You're shouting at them, but what are you doing? You're trying to protect them, right? They're, they're getting near the stove and they're going to stop, don't do that, it's hot! You're shouting, but you're shouting with the power of prevention. When we experience pain in our life, listen to me, it's there so that God can keep you from doing something that you shouldn't be doing. It's God's way of shouting to you, hey, my child, stop. There's a power behind pain. Number two is the prize behind pain, the prize of pain. I thought this was interesting. Paul says, I was given a thorn in my flesh. You ever been given something before? Normally when you are given something, it's a gift right? We don't give you something you don't like. If you're being given something, it's a gift. Yet Paul says, uh, three times I pleaded for God to take it away. So how are you considering it a gift, but at the same time begging for it to be removed? Let me ask you this. You ever received a gift before you didn't want? Remember when you were a kid and Christmas time would come and you'd get a sweater or clothes or, or socks? Right? I mean, it can't be any worse Christmas present than socks. And so you, you get all excited and you open these presents and it's not what you wanted. 
I'll never forget one time uh, in Darla's family, what we kind of did one Christmas is like I bought for one person and one person bought for one person. Well, Darla's brother had to buy for me. And Darla's brother's normally a really good gift giver. And so you kind of give them a list of what you kind of want, you know, that they could choose from. And so we get there for Christmas. We get to the parents' house and, and our presents are put like in little categories. So like over here's Darla's and over here's mine. And I immediately, because I'm a child, I walk in and I go in and look at my gifts. Like, what, am I, what I got going on over here? You know what I mean? Let me, let me take a little inspection. And, um, I see this massive gift. It's like, literally, it's like from here across down. It's huge. And I start processing all of the things I put on my list. And I'm like, what could that be? I know I asked for a video game, but could it be a TV to play the video game? Like, I'm the whole day, y'all, I'm thinking about this. We had to eat dinner or lunch, whatever it was. We had to watch the kids open gifts. And the entire time, Veda's like, Daddy, look what I got. And I'm like, be quiet. I'm trying to figure out what I got. And so I'm processing it all day. What is it going to be? What is it going to be? And so we get to opening gifts, and this is funny. I purposely leave it for last, right? Because I'm like, this is going to be the best gift. And so I'm opening all the other gifts. Like, and I'm, I'm literally like a kid on Christmas. I'm like, oh, that's great. Throwing it, you know. Oh, yeah, that's it. And there it is. And so I'm doing all slow motion paper tearing, you know what I mean, trying to enjoy it. And I pull off a little bit. And I can't tell what it is. Keep on going. And I get to, boom, there it is. A 250-piece toolbox. If you know me, the last thing I need or want is a tool, unless it's a fork, right? And it wasn't 250 forks. And so I'm looking, and I was so disappointed. But you know what's so funny is now it's been, I don't know, probably six years, and I used that gift more than any other gift I got. I couldn't even tell you what the other gifts were, but I still use that because watch this, a lot of times what we want is not what we need, right? And so I, I want. Uh, some kind of game, but I, but I need socks, <laughs> or I need underwear, or whatever that gift is you get for Christmas that nobody would ever want, but you need it. There's a difference in wanting it and needing it. I love what it says in Hebrews about pain, because I think what, it, what it's doing is it's taking the concept of perspective. What I want is not what I need. And so then Hebrews says this, it says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Hear that? For our light and momentary troubles, for your light and momentary pain. Look, I'm in the middle of the pain. It doesn't seem light and momentary to me. I understand. But it's light and momentary when you compare it to the glory of God. When you compare what you're going through to the glory of God, you begin to get a great perspective, and it becomes light and momentary. Now, here's the deal. That's a great statement to say. That's so biblical. That sounds so cool. That sounds so theological. And I could get up here and go, man, you, should, you just need to understand, get the right perspective of your pain. And when you get the right perspective of your pain, you'll see there's a prize in your pain. And the whole time you're sitting in your chair going, I wish he'd shut up. I don't know what he's talking about because the pain I'm going through is not a prize. And I wanted to show you a great example of how the perception of God's glory and what God's doing and your pain will begin to show you how the pain can actually become a prize. So I was about two years into ministry. Uh, about two years is into being married as well, maybe give or take a little bit of time. And um, I went to, me and my wife went to a foster kids camp where we did ministry for foster kids. And I have to tell you, I have to confess to you, church, me and Darla's marriage was not doing well. Um, not because of any necessary sin or anything. We just, we're two very strong-headed people. We're two very passionate people. We were young. 
we were involved in ministry at an unhealthy capacity, and our relationship with God was unhealthy. At least mine was. I can't speak to Darla's, but mine was. And so our marriage was unhealthy. We would go to this camp, and we were both doing skits and songs together, and because we had a team, an entertainment team, and we would have so much fun with that team, but when we had to talk to each other, we would fight automatically. To the point where we'd be in the same room, but I would stay over here and she would stay over there. It was unhealthy. I can't explain it to you. It's the craziest thing. And we did the camp. The camp ended on a Friday night. We come home. They do a big dinner for us for doing the camp. We didn't even sit by each other. We ate the dinner. We had a great time talking to our friends, but we didn't talk to each other. We go back to the place we were living at the time. We were living with her parents because we were saving up to buy a house. And um, Saturday morning rolls around. I'm watching Psych. Y'all know what Psych is? Research it. Best show ever. Um, I'm watching Psych on the couch, and I start to feel this real uncomfortable feeling. Almost like I had to go to the bathroom really bad. And so I start moving around and moving around. I go to the bathroom, nothing, come back, keeps on going. And my mother-in-law was a retired nurse, so I walked into the kitchen. I said, Tina, i got to ask you a question. This, and I started reaching back here, and I'm like, this is, and she goes, Troy, you have a kidney stone. I said, oh, no, I've heard about kidney stones. <laughs> They're supposed to be like the male's version of labor, you know what I mean? So, like, I, I would know if I had that. And she goes, no, it kind of comes in waves. And so if I was you, I'd go ahead and go to the doctor or the hospital before it gets peak. And I'm like, peak? What is peak? Literally 10 minutes later, I was bawling, screaming, okay? And so Darla puts me in the truck, and I'm screaming all day, go faster, go faster, you know, don't hit a bump, you know, and she gets me. I remember I go to the hospital, and they had chairs with railings kind of like this, and I laid across the railings, and I was just screaming in the emergency room, like, would you give me some pain medicine? I mean, it was a horrible experience. It left me in the hospital for days because I never drank water or anything, so they had to put uh, fluids through me. And for about four days, I was bedridden in that hospital. My ministry somehow magically kept going. Church didn't miss me. Ministry was fine. The only two people I had the opportunity to spend any time with was God and my wife. She sat there in my bed. We watched movies together. We laughed. She would feed me, wait on me hand and foot. My wife's always been fantastic at being in that, that nursing role. And it's like that fire was kind of relit in our marriage. And it was a reminder in that moment of like, oh, man, all these things that we've become obsessed with don't matter. But it's this. It's this right here. This is incredible. And I remember we left that hospital and, and our marriage has been going uphill ever since. And it's so funny. I didn't think about it till years later. I looked back and I said, wow, one hand was the pain I went through. The other hand was the success of my marriage. And when I put it into comparison that what I went through was light and momentary because it saved my marriage, I begin to see my pain as a prize. See what I mean? There's never a moment where you look at pain and enjoy it until you understand what could have happened if it weren't for the pain. God lets us go through it to prevent us. There's a prize in the pain. Pain is a lesson, watch this, that once you learn it, it leaves. Pain is a lesson that once you learn it, it leaves. And then I thought about this. I'm like, okay, so I'm learning. It's a prize. And then you guys have ever been somewhere where you've done a drawing and they say you have to be present to win? I thought about this. Pain is a prize. You have to be present to win. When you try to get out of it, pleading. Isn't that what Paul said? I pleaded three times. Let me get out of this. Let it stop. He's trying to get away from it. And God says you need to be present to win. You need to stay in it and you need to learn what I'm trying to teach you. You need to let me do the prevention. You need to let me do the perspective work. You need to let me grow you, stretch you, mature you in me because what you're going through is light and momentary compared to my glory. There was another verse after that said that we begin to see the unseen. I, I didn't see my marriage falling apart. 
but the pain was able to give me a perspective to see things that are normally unseen because pain will open your eyes to things you don't normally see. So there's a power in pain, there's a prize behind pain, and then there's a purpose in pain. I read those three verses over and over again. I said, God, why would your child plead three times and your answer would be, my grace is sufficient? What, what, what's going on? Where's the response here? And the more and more I studied it, here's what I kept coming back to. God said to Paul, there is a point and there is a purpose in what you're going through. Paul wanted to plead and get out before he got the point. We don't need to get out of pain before we get something out of it. And so I thought it'd be fun to share with you a testimony that I went through in my life where God really, really taught me something with pain. So um, fast forward into our life. I had gone through kidney stones three times in our life. The first time that I just shared with you about, there was another time uh, during kind of the middle of um, all of that, a few years in between where I went for about a week. I remember preaching a youth camp with a stint in. If you guys know how kidney stones work, you have surgery and you get stints in. It's kind of a crazy deal. Uh, I'll try to be very ungraphic today, even though it's Father's Day. And so um, fast forward now, it's about, I think it's 2015, and my littlest, Casey Ray, had just been born. We had been home from the hospital two days, okay? So I now have, uh, I think, a five-year-old and then a newborn is what it's like in my house. And I'm sitting in the recliner. I'm getting ready to go to work, and I begin to feel this pain. And I'm like, once you've experienced it, it's familiar, okay? And so I was like, hmm, that's, I think. And so my mother-in-law was there because she was helping with the baby, and I told her, and she said, well, come on, let's go. Let's go to the hospital. And so we, we, we jump to the hospital, and we go, and, and we get it looked at before. And on the way to the hospital, I had this thought. I've done this before. I'll go for about a week, get a stint. It'll be done. I could never be prepared for what happened. I get to the doctor. At the time, I had a specific doctor now after <laughs> being a professional at kidney stones. And um, he says, you have eight kidney stones in your two kidneys. So we're gonna have to do surgery and, and, and put stents in. I said, okay. So they put you to sleep and they do the surgery and they put the stents in. I, I don't wanna explain to you what a stent is, but feel free to Google it when you get home, okay? Um, and so I've got the stent, but I've still got the eight kidney stones. So they keep trying to explode them so that they'll kind of go through. And I honestly thought I'd go through for a couple weeks. At about four and a half months, into this, I had gotten to a place where I was ready to give up. I remember looking at my wife in the bed one time, I was crying, and I just said, babe, I can't do this. I, I, I can't do this. It's gotta stop, it's gotta stop. She was so good at nursing me. And let me explain to you what I mean, okay? So, so obviously there's the pain, but I had to get on pain pills because my job that I was working, I had just been given this brand new, uh, task of starting a new church, a new service, and so I had all these responsibilities, and so I would wake up in the morning, this was literally my schedule, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd, sh I'd shimmy, you know the shimmy, right, shimmy to the shower, and I'd take, take the pain pill, and then put like a hoodie on, and I'd, I had to walk my daughter at the time into kindergarten, so I'd be walking with this hoodie on, and just taking her to, the, you know, and because of the time, Darla's at home with the baby, and I would get back. I'd start getting dressed, and I'm like putting pants legs on one at a time. And, and about an hour after I took the pills, they would kick in. And it, they took the pain away, but they kind of made me like a zombie. You know, I was just kind of dull to everything, just kind of dull. 
And, and then the medicine made me feel bad. So it, it gave me nausea and different things. And so I would go to work from nine, let's just say nine to five, and I would come home and I didn't want to take another pill because of how it made me feel. But I had to choose either the pill or the pain. And so what I would do is Darla would put like a heating pad on the couch and I would sit with my back on the heating pad and it would dull it for just a moment. And probably about 6.30 or seven o'clock, I had to go to bed because I couldn't take it anymore. And I'm a, I'm a deep sleeper. So it doesn't matter how sick I am, I can fall asleep and, and I feel good while I'm asleep, obviously. And so I would go lay in the bed, but I couldn't fall asleep because it was 6.30, 7 o'clock. And I would lay in the bed and listen to me, y'all. My wife had a five-year-old and a newborn. And I could hear her yelling at my five-year-old while my newborn was crying. <laughs> and I'm in the bed. Helpless. And if you're a husband and you're a father, you, you can't imagine or you can't imagine what it would be like to be in that situation where you're completely helpless for your family. I couldn't do anything because even if I'd get up, I, I, I was angry and, and irritated because of the pain. And so I would just lay in the bed. And then here's what would happen. Because I'd go to bed at 6, 30, 7 o'clock, by 2 o'clock in the morning, I was awake. And so I'd go into the living room and I'd watch Boy Meets World like every episode all night and drink all these Gatorades. And I would just sit there and I had to go to the bathroom all the time and I'd come back. And here's what I did. Here's the hardest part about the whole thing is that every time I was awake, every time I went to the restroom, every time I felt pain, I prayed and I asked God to remove it. Now it's easy when I tell you four and a half, five months, you're like, ah, it's four and a half, five months. Until you're in something for four and a half, five months, you can't really understand it. Because here's the catch. In the four month, I didn't know it was going to stop at five. I had every reason to believe this thing was going to continue forever and ever and ever. And I've told people, I, I, I wasn't going to necessarily, but I understood depression and I understood suicidal thoughts. I understood them. To be in a place where you're experiencing such pain but you don't know why and you can't, it, it doesn't, you see no sign of it ever stopping and you're, you know God can do this and it'd be gone. I'm just trying to let you know, look, I, I'm, a, I'm a man of God, okay? I preach the word of God. I struggled with this. If you're a great God, why can't you just take this? And then I started being able to justify it. I can't be a good husband with this. Your Bible tells me to be a good husband. I can't be a good father with this. Your Bible tells me to be a good father. I can't be a great worker. I can't even, I can't even read my Bible because I'm in so much pain. Like, it makes sense for you to do it, right? And this went on day after day. I lost almost 50 pounds through the process because I couldn't eat. It's completely miserable. And so... We said, okay, we're going to go to a new doctor. We go to this new doctor. I'll never forget this. For those of you that are basketball fans, he looks like Brad Stevens, the coach for Boston Celtics, and he got in a little chair, and he slid over to the front of me. I was sitting in his chair. He slid over to me. He looked at me. He said, Troy, I know you've been through some stuff, and it's been hard, but we're about to fix you. And I just started. Because that was the first time that I really thought just maybe this was about to stop. And so I went through about two or three more surgeries. My last surgery, it snowed in Memphis, and you couldn't get to the hospital. My mom wouldn't drive me. My wife had the baby. I called my friend Eugene, and not only did he take me, but we pretty much fishtailed on purpose on snow all the way there. And 
I got the surgery, and, and I had done this before, and I knew it, and this is what the doctor said. By the time you wake up in the morning, you'll be 100%. Be 100%. And I had done it before, so I, I believed him because I, I experienced that. Once, it's, once they're gone, it's gone. So that next morning, snow still on the ground. I get up to get out of my bed, and the moment I stand, I fall to the ground. Because through these five months, this, they've done so much damage to my back tissue, but I was on these pain pills, so I didn't know it. Now that I, I cut the pain pills off immediately, the moment the surgery was done, and now I couldn't, I literally couldn't walk. And so I crawled into my living room. I'll never forget this. Crawled into my living room, and there was a couch, and I climbed up on the couch. Because now I was back at the hole. Here we go again. I went to bed believing this was over, and it's not. Here we go again. And I'm laying on the couch, and the way my couch was, the part I was laying on was directed out of our window to our backyard, and my, my daughter, Veda, came in, and she said, Dad, can, can we go make a snowman? I said, babe, I want to so bad, so bad but I can't get off this couch. She was five years old, so she, you could tell she was trying to process it. She said, come on, Daddy, we'll just go make one quick snowman because we didn't get snow a lot in Memphis. So it was like, you know, let's, let's, let's go make one snowman. I said, baby, look, you don't understand. I want to so bad, but I can't. And Darla's tied up with the baby, and so being the sweet wife that she is, she just said, baby, go play, leave your dad alone. So she gets all clothed up and she goes outside and the place she chose to make the snowman was right through the window that I was staring at and I'm just watching her make the snowman one of the worst moments of my life I can't be a husband I can't be a father and the God that I'm giving my life to in service could stop this right now and I'm still in the middle of it. Where's this purpose in my pain, right? So weeks go by, I start to recover, I get back to normal, snow's gone. And then the church world comes and I go to church every Bible reading Christian oh brother there's a purpose in your pain and I'm like if you don't shut up because it's all fun and games when the person speaking has never experienced it it's harder for you to hear it when you're in the middle of the pain this happened every day I worked at a church you can tell me times I wanted to you know lay hands on them suddenly if you know what I mean <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? And so I remember I'd pray. God, what's the purpose? God, what's the purpose? God, what's the purpose? So-and-so said there's a purpose. So-and-so, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? Months go by. We get into the winter, and another snow comes. The night before, when they're saying it's going to snow, it's going to snow, that's how it was in Memphis. You'd go to bed, and it'd be completely clear. You'd wake up and like a snowstorm hit. You know, it was the craziest thing. And so me and my daughter were sitting in the room. I said, babe, they say it's going to snow tomorrow. 
Yeah, 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 he says I'm a snowman. I said, we're going to go build a snowman. Really, Dad? Yeah. So I said, yeah, if, if you have to go to school when you get home, if you don't, so okay, Dad, okay. So she goes to bed. She's like her mom. She can sleep till noon. And so she doesn't have to go to school, and she's sleeping, and I'm like in the kitchen just getting ready. I don't got every piece of clothes on I could put on. I got three shoes, you know what I mean? Just I'm just decked up because I don't like the cold. And so... I'm already, and I'm even going out in there before her, and I'm like, you know, prepping, getting the snowballs ready because she tends to lose attention. And so I'm getting stuff ready, and I'm out there for, for hours getting stuff prepped. All right, putting snowballs over here. I come back in. Baby, she, she up yet? No, honey, she's not up yet. Okay, all right, I'm going back. I get stuff. I was so excited, so excited to play in the snow with her because now I could. And y'all, I'll never forget it. One of the times I go back out into the snow, clear as day. He, did, he didn't say it. I, I couldn't hear his voice, but it was so clear in my heart. He said, Troy, you want to know the purpose of the pain you went through? Oh, yeah. Remember how I told you it helps you see the unseen? He reminded me that every time my daughter had ever asked me to go play in the snow, I was too busy to do it. I was so wrapped up in my job. It's cold outside. I gotta watch this TV show. And so every time, two or three times a year, every time, Daddy, you wanna go, but no, you just go ahead. No, you just go ahead. And he said, look at you now. You're begging her to wake up so that you can play with her in the snow. I gave you perspective, Troy. And now you see that the pain you went through was light and momentary in comparison to the glory of God. When she woke up, let me see that picture real quick. When she woke up, I'm so thankful for pain. I'll never miss another snow day the rest of, rest of my life. Would you stand with me just for a moment? I don't pretend to know what you're going through. And what you're going through may, well, the pain I went through may not even be in comparison. Four, four months, please, I've been dealing with this for 10 years. I, I don't know your story. But here's what I know, and I can say it with confidence, that there is a purpose behind your pain. It's just up to you whether or not you will try to find it instead of pleading to get out of it. It's a lesson that leaves when it's learned. That pain made me a better daddy. It was my happy Father's Day gift. I had been gifted 
a thorn in my flesh. Never seen Kenny Stones, you'll get that joke. (laughs) So that I could be a better daddy in my daughter's life. Would you close your eyes? Lord, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for the purpose that you use our pain for. I thank you that as Christ followers, pain is not something that's pointless, but you use everything. You use everything in our lives to teach us and stretch us and grow us and to make us better. And so God, I just want to thank you for the pain. Thank you. Thank you for the pain. Maybe you're in here this morning and you are in pain. If you're not, it's probably going to come your way soon. But hear me, in the midst of your pain, God has not left you. Maybe your pain is God shouting. Maybe your pain is for you to get a better perspective of your life. Or maybe God is just using it to allow you to see the unseen and to bring healing to your marriage or to your family, to your health. God has a purpose in the pain you're going through. So I ask you this morning, don't plead to get out before asking God what you're supposed to get out of it. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful and that in all things you still use everything to speak and minister to our hearts. And so, Lord, we thank you for our pain. Would you do that for a moment just in your own way? Would you just say, God, thank you. Thank you for the pain I went through. Thank you for the pain I'm going through. Thank you for the pain that's going to come my way. I don't fear things in the future because I know that you use everything for my good to better me, to build me. And so, God, I thank you that no matter what I go through, I'm not alone. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.